way. Uh, hope you guys are all prepared and have enjoyed uh, coming up to it. I'm sure you're all looking forward to if you have any annual leave. If not, we thank you for working on Christmas Day. Uh, it is a uh, it is a sacrifice made, um, but again, it's appreciated for all the services that still need to happen uh, during uh, Christmas. Um, and as we've been thinking about Jesus coming, um, one of the big conversations they have is like, actually, when you come to your dinner table and you sit around the table with your family, um, occasionally you might have topics that come up that might cause uh, trouble and uh, strife within it. If you start talking about politics, and some people were pro-Brexit or some people are anti-Brexit, or if you're an American, you can have pro-Trump or anti-Trump. Uh, or if you have just different views on races or religions, it just means that a lot of those topics become uh, very sensitive, and it becomes really difficult to know how do you how do you talk to people who have a different kind of mindset to you. Um, and I, I think the bigger question is actually how do you love people who are very different from you. Um, and the more I look at the world, or in particular in the West, I realize we have so many strong opinions about different things. Everyone has an opinion about something, and everyone thinks their opinion is the right opinion, like it's the right one. And the person who's on the other side, you think, well, that person's just wrong. They haven't heard the truth. They don't know what's really right. And then what happens is instead of having a discussion or a debate, um, you just have people saying, well, that person's wrong, and either I need to force them to see what's right, or we just can't be friends. The problem with that is actually, when we think about Jesus coming to this earth, and we think about his love, you understand that it's a very different perspective that Jesus is trying to teach us. Like, what does it mean to really love your enemy or to love those who persecute you? I mean, he's talking about people that think very differently from himself, and yet he's able to extend love to them. I don't know about you, but the more I thought about that, the more I thought, wow, it's, it's really hard to know love. Like, it's really hard to know how to love people who are different from you. Um, and it was a real challenge to me when I think about the U.S. politics or sometimes I think about people who are so delusional in their understanding or the way they think. I just think, man, if they could just see the truth, then it would be right. Part of me is then, well, gosh, I don't have enough energy to convince them or there's no point trying to convince these people who believe these conspiracy theories that instead of any love that's there, it's just judgment or condemnation. Again, then, when we think about Christmas and we think about Jesus coming, when God sends Jesus here to this earth, he's sending him with this amazing love. So the question I kept saying was, God, how do I love in this divisive age? I know they say this is the age of information, or previously it was the industrial age. But to me, this age that we're living in right now, this is the most divisive age that I feel like we've been in. People are so locked into their different opinions about all sorts of different things that it makes them so angry, even to the point of violence. You have people who have such strong opinions even about the latest Star Wars movie that it can cause such conflict for them online that when they meet each other in real life, they have antagonism towards one another. We see that exploded when we look at the political situation across the world. And in different places around the world, you have strong protests or strong feelings against the government. This might come from frustration. It might be generally true that what's happening to them is unjust. And yet, it's that inability to know how to love in a divisive age. When we think about our own situations, there are people that we just don't like. They bother us. They annoy us. When we hear their voice, we just think to ourselves, ah, I can't stand this person. And it's not right, and yet still part of us judges them instead of loves. 
my question kept being, God, how do I, how do I love like you love? Like we know you want us to love. Like how do I do that? How do I love in such a divisive age? Because if we look at this world today, if we look at the situation of the world, actually what it needs more of is love, not more voices in disagreeing. And it's hard because we're holding on to this sense of like, but no, but, but Bert, the truth is so important in love. You don't want to be able to have the truth in love. How do you do this? I hope today as, as we go through the scripture, we're going to look in particular in both John 3.16 and also 1 John uh, 3, chapters 3 and 4. We get to unfold actually how we see God's love and what that might mean for us. The first thing, though, to make this all happen is we need to understand and agree on one thing. God's love is greater than ours. Now, this this should be a straightforward. I hope no one's disagreeing with me on this one. But the first point is, really, God's love is greater than ours. It is what he describes perfect, right? It is a perfect love. It is not a selfish love. It is not driven by his own thing. It is perfectly given. And we see that through Jesus Christ given to us. We see this amazing love kind of demonstrated to us. It is not a selfish love. It is pure and holy. God's love is far greater than ours. To give you an example of what it's like to have, to, what our kind of love is like, is, is this. It's Christmas time, and, you know, I'm, I want to buy gifts for people. And when I buy a gift and I wrap it up, I'm, like, really excited. Oh, I picked a really good gift for them. I'm really excited. I spent a lot of money on them. Okay, my wife's not here, so I'll give that example. So I used to buy my wife. I, the key word here is I used to buy my wife gifts because I've since learned. Okay, because what happens is I'll spend a lot of time trying to pick a right gift for her. And I'll be like, oh, this is really great. She's really going to love it. And I'll wrap it up, and I'll give it to her and say, oh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday. Um, and she'll be like, oh, thanks. I thought we weren't giving each other gifts. Okay, anyways, thanks. And then, you know when you give a gift to someone, you really want to see their reaction, right? You, there is something. Then they open it up, and my wife's like, oh, okay, well, thanks. You know your love is selfish when the response, you, they do that response, and your instant response is, What? The, how you're going to react. I spent so much time thinking about this gift for you and I gave you this and this is the kind of you, it's a clear sign that our love is very selfish. We're giving someone out of our love in hopes that actually that will receive warmly or that it's um, given back. What's worse is when you give them the gift and they say oh, well, I didn't get you anything but Merry Christmas. You know, you're like, what? I also thought so much about this. I didn't get a card. You didn't even do anything or you open the card and they say, Merry Christmas from so-and-so. You're like, well, you didn't write a message. You know, there's that part where we think to ourselves, I really love this person. And yet we can see that on our response from how they respond to us, we see that actually our love is selfish. We hope that in the expression of our love, it is reciprocated in an equal or better way. And when it's not, we want to withdraw our love and say that's not fair. Jesus, on the other hand, God is completely different, right? God's love is perfect and greater. Can you imagine if God in heaven was like, I love you so much, so I've given you my son to die on the cross for you. And then he comes to our church on a Sunday and hears us worship and we're like, yeah, Christ alone, my hope is yeah, something. But, and like, if I was Jesus and I saw that, I was like, what? You know, I literally died on the cross for you. And this is how you worship me? Like, with one eye looking over there at this girl and your heart all over the place? Like, what kind of love is that? Like, if I was, if I was God, I would immediately like, smite them all down. They should all be killed. But God's love is so pure and so good and, and so unselfish. That, and, and His giving of it, He's not 
not expecting this response. Yes, LeBron, if he did, if he did, we'd understand how great he is. Like, that should be our natural response. But we're so broken. We are so blind in our response to him that we just don't love him that much. God could say, and he is well within his rights to just win it. But you know what? I withdraw my love from you because you are undeserved. understand that because then we can begin to say, man, actually you're right, Bert. My love, my ability to love is so far from God's perfect love. Like, I, I wish I could have that kind of love. I yearn for that same kind of love that I could give to this broken world, but I am really far from that because I can't even love my friends if they don't love the gift I give them. Like, I will withdraw my love from them and that is how selfish I am. That realization helps to say, wow, God, your love is far greater and far more perfect than what I see and what I know. If you understand God's love is greater, it begins to make you say, well, let me see that more. Let me understand that fullness greater in my life because that is the source of love. If we start with there and we know God's love is greater than ours, and, and we have to agree on this, God's love is greater than ours, it has to be then, yeah, that's what I want. I want that greater love. We can then see his kingship. God's kingdom is established by his love. If our theme this year is kingdom vision, and what we're trying to get across is God's, what is God's kingdom vision of love? Like, what does that look like? We have to understand that God's kingdom itself is established by his love. It is by the love of God the Father that he chooses to establish his kingdom through the death of his son. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. His kingdom is established in these ways. First, his love for creation us means that he sent his one and only son like, that is the cost. That's what it costs to establish his kingdom. And he chooses to do that out of love. And Jesus' desire and willingness to be sent by the Father, to be given as a sacrifice, is that love demonstrated to us. And by doing so, he establishes his kingdom. It brings us into that. For anyone who believes, it's like, yes, God, I believe that you've done this. And then we become part of that kingdom. His love means he desires for us not to be under punishment, but instead under mercy. See, we deserve to be punished for our sins. Like, I, I know we think we're not bad people. I'm not that bad. I don't kill anybody. You know, we hate people all the time. We curse people under our breath. We think really bad thoughts. Not only that, there are things in our attitude, in our perspective, even the way we talk about God, that just devalues him or cheapens him. You know, all of this is sinning. And God in his perfection could be that all of that, that is guilt. That is guilty. He does not have to love us. But he chooses to, and his perfect love washes over us and says, you know what, these people, they deserve punishment, but instead that punishment will be on Jesus so that I will forgive these people, and they'll be justified. So they're no longer guilty. Instead, now I can give them mercy. Like, that is the beauty of God's love. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His kingdom is established by his action, his love, his sacrifice, and his power. Now, the amazing thing about this is that this is how God loved the world. Like, that's, that's all of humanity from its very existence. 
And I don't know how you think humanity came to existence, but no matter what, from the very beginning of a soul and a human being, God's love was for the entirety of the human race, the whole world, from the very beginning of time to the end, including all of us here now. That, that's a supreme love. Like, like he looks at every race. He looks at every culture. He looks at every faith. He looks at every profession, every smart person, every dumb person, every person who has a disability, every person who thinks they're perfectly made. Like his love is for all of them. And his desire is that all of them might know how great God's love is. Now there's a big difference between God's amazing love for the world and how we love the world. I don't know about you, but I don't really love the world. I might say I love the world, but really I like people like myself. I mean, to be honest, those are the only people I love, right? Like, most of us don't love people who are different from us. We might say we do, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I would die for this people, right? This is what God keeps pointing on the Bible, right? Yeah, even a good person, you might die for a good person, but you wouldn't die for a bad person. I wouldn't look for a killer on death row and say, you know what, oh, you know what, let me, let me take that guy's place. Yeah, let me be electrocuted instead, because I think that guy deserves a second chance. Like, Especially if I didn't know the person. This is saying God's love is so great. It is for the whole Like that, again, this is a supernatural, divine love. And and our love is so far from that. And again, then then when I keep thinking about how divided the world is or or how divided my own heart is and its ability to love, my question is, God, how how do I love like you? If, if this is the model of what you want me to be, like, how do I have that? Why am I instead still so selfish? Like, I, I complain about my family members, or I complain about um, this political system, or I complain about my workplace. You know, these complaints, you're saying, oh, that's not really not loving people. At the same time, you see the way Jesus seems to interact. Even those who are trying to get the way to the Pharisees, even when he's trying to rebuke love this love that even that's demonstrated is frustrating his people so like why well, I, I want to reject him when he, when he has the sinner come to him and the woman is weeping and anointing his feet with oil and she knows she's a sinner you know Jesus' love for her is so great but when the tax collectors start condemning her like he turns to them and says you know, you know what you see this you see how great that love is in the same way if you could understand how great it is to have your sins forgiven like God is trying constantly to pour out his love to this world we we still stand in a place where we we are right and somehow these people like we are choosing to withhold love to them until they understand what's right you know a little bit like a Chinese parent do what's right, and then I will love you. Even though that's not really what Chinese parents are thinking, they're trying to use that to motivate you to do better in school. That's how from the West is all it's still so long God in his great love has the power to transform the darkness of To see the beauty He is so great and so wonderful that the more we look to how great that love is, the more confidence we have to be able to walk in that way. It's then understanding exactly who Jesus is and what he's done. Because Jesus is actually God's love. He lets us know God's love. 
It's by the actions of Christ. Like, what if, like, so my sister used to say, um, she didn't get me a Christmas present one year, um, and, or maybe, anyways, this year she didn't give me a Christmas present, and I got her something. She said, what? What? Oh, I didn't even get you anything. And she said, I said, it's okay, it's the thought that counts. And she said, no, it's not. The thought counts for nothing. The thought is nothing. I might have thought about it, but if I didn't do anything about it, then it's pointless. Similarly, this like, last week I was in a charity shop and I saw this DVD. I thought, oh, this person would really love this DVD. You know, Romeo and Juliet, such a great one. I should buy it for this person. And instead I didn't. But I thought about it, right? Like that counts for something. No, actually, it doesn't, Bert. It counts for nothing. Like maybe it's a little bit, oh, I get some sympathy points, but... What? But if you really thought about it, you would have, you would have acted on it. Can you imagine if God in heaven, he looks at world sinfulness, and he's like, you know what? The only way they can be saved is if Jesus, you go down and sacrifice your life for them. And Jesus says, oh, that is, that is true. That's such a good idea. Cool, 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 cool. And then that's it. They just thought about it. They had a conversation amongst each other. Yeah, that would really save them. And then later on, like, oh, yeah, we should have done that, right? Yeah. Oh, oh well. Next time, next time, next time. You know, the, the thought doesn't count for you. Like Jesus, like he literally comes down to the earth to, to give his life for us, to, to die on this cross. You know, to be, to be called a sinner, to be scorned by people. Yes, we are for the for world, for us. And like these are not good people he's dying for. I mean, they're abusing him. They're calling him things, and yet he's there. And what does he say while he's on the cross? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus on the cross, I would not say, Father, forgive them. I'd say, Father, smite them down. You know, they know what they're doing, but they're, they're dumb. Like, I, I, our hearts are filled with so much pride and arrogance. That the love we try to give out is so broken. But when you see Jesus' amazing love demonstrated on the, on the cross, and even while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's wrestling, he's like, God, you know, if this cup can be taken from me, then do it. But if not, your will be done, not my own. Like, he's completely saying... My actions, I want to carry this through so this to the is what's end. Happening in the next couple of weeks. I want um, my love yes, to be demonstrated be ending, in action, uh, next week not just on the side. See, then, uh, in uh, 1 John 3.16, actually, Max Elamore, it says, this is how we know what love is. Like, anything you think you know about love based on whatever romantic comedy you've ever seen on TV where it ends in marriage or a ring or some Disney princess movie, like, that's not love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. In fact, this is the only model of demonstrating what love really looks like. Everything else is not really love. I mean, you can say, oh, it might be agape or eros love. No, okay, well, let's just spell it out for you. This is love. This is love at its best and its purest and its greatest. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The greater we are in, uh, in trying to understand that, or appreciate that love, or engage with that love, the better we understand, one, how far away we are from God, and yet how much he draws us close. Even though we are completely undeserving, he still holds us close. And this is where we come then to this world. If we know that Jesus Christ was given so that this world might have eternal life, and we look at this world today, we know that this world is super broken. Like, it's really broken. And we don't know how to love anything. We know how to idolize, like, BTS or other kind of bands. We know how to worship things, like, by spending all our time on Netflix. 
And so but this world, like, it really like needs love. Like, we're looking, looking at the numbers now, like, nowadays, like, one of the biggest things is we're talking about loneliness. We're talking about the mental health services. One of the biggest problems, like, the GPs complain to me about this. They say, you know what, actually, Bert, what a lot of patients need, they just need someone to talk to because they're so alone. And, and they're coming to the GPs because they're hoping that the GP can have time to talk to them. But the GP has, like, seven minutes, right? And you have to diagnose them and send them on their way. And you can really only talk about one thing. But some of these, these people, whether they're elderly or just feeling so isolated, they just need groups to talk to. My friend who um, was sharing with me, you know, like I have a group that, I praise God for this group. It was started by a Christian because she had a postnatal depression. And she started this group because there wasn't anyone to talk to. And she's found, actually, there's this group, just being able to talk begins to help. And, and you see, actually, there's so much isolation, so much brokenness, so much need for love. And you see these people who are, are going into darker, darker areas of their life because they're just yearning for trying to find what love is. And they're chasing these dark corners of the internet, pursuing these things that give them maybe um, a bit of a rush or a bit of a feeling of love. But, but it's so desperate for actually knowing what true sure love is. Has, um, you know, her quiet time Even for ourselves, you know, we're looking for affirmation. We're, we're looking for validation. Anyway, so that we're looking for, for appreciation. Um, and now and God is saying, yeah. Um, well, she actually you know, has set off this now is to, um, how yes, we know what love is, that Jesus Christ for, died for us. Um, now, now, when I say that out loud, all of us, we do it in this one way, don't we? We say, yes, Bert, I hear that, and I understand it does compute. Jesus Christ died on the cross, therefore, that is love equals the same. You know, it's a mathematical, logical conclusion, and you might say, yeah, but, you know, love is that feeling in your heart when you get near someone, and they're holding up cards, and they've written on them, and they're playing some music like caroling and they're going through those cards and like oh this is really what love is it's not where's that feeling you understand when god is saying that that's what love is he's trying to say bert that doesn't just engage in your mind and it's going to engage in your heart but this love that he's trying to talk about is the love that pierces your soul and if it's not piercing your soul then you have to say God, this world really needs love, but I really need to understand your divine and supernatural love to pierce into my very soul, to transform my understanding of everything, because that is the love that I need to give out. Right, when we look at that verse again, 1 John 3.16, and going further on to 7.18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Like, that's it, isn't it? There needs to be this real demonstration of love in our actions. And this convicts us because we're like, oh, if we see someone in need, but don't give them anything, like that's not really love, right? Now, I don't know about you, there's a lot of homeless people out now, and we don't know what to do. We want to say, we can't give stuff to everyone. We see them without need. Like, how do, how do we do that? And, and, and we're immediately conflicted because we're like, well, look, we know it needs to have an action. But, but the selfishness or the fear or the trying to weigh up all the parts of it makes it so complicated that we don't know what to do. But we do know that somehow love is demonstrated in action. Like Jesus Christ himself on the cross dying for us, you know, he knows how messed up this world not just was at the time. He knew what was going to happen when Nero was in power and was persecuting the believers. He knew what was going to happen uh, 
in China as they started to kill Christians. He knew about the Crusades, how Christians would go out in the name of Jesus and kill Muslims. He knew about all these things. At any point, he said, you know what, this world is such a messed up place, really. I don't think it's worth dying for them. And yet he chooses to in this action to do this. For us to understand that Jesus Christ's life is given in action, we look at this world around how broken it is, we know that love is demonstrated in action. Somehow in our lives, we need to act on these things. But here's the problem, isn't it? Like, Amen. at, at so the is, basic Edwina, point, our love is insufficient. We can't do it. Um, we yeah, don't, I don't have enough um, love. Um, I don't have enough love for every homeless person out there. I don't have enough love for every person who struggles with mental health issues or someone who's put on the spectrum, but the family doesn't know how to help them. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to help the person who's going through a problem that I've never had to deal with. I don't even know how to, how, to, how to love the person who's just slightly different from me. I don't know how to love the person who's a Muslim, who's a, who's, or even, even more fanatical Muslim. Or, or I don't know how to know how the, the crazy radical Christians who are Trump supporters. Like, I, I don't know how to do those. All I know is that actually, God, my love sucks. Like, it's so insufficient. And then when I come to church and I read these verses, I tell you what I try to do. I strive. I'm going to get better at loving. I'm going I'm to love more. And I go home and I feel guilty that I'm not loving enough. And I go and I, and I just want to stay in the house so I don't have to actually face anyone. I actually have to love them because at least I'm not failing. Um, we strive so hard to love with our own power. And it keeps coming up short. And as I was, I was asking God, see, God, God, see, God this is the problem. You know, this world is so broken, so divided. There's so many holes. Everything's falling apart. And you say, you got to love people. You got to love with action. I'm like, I can't. I don't have enough. And God's saying, yep, that is correct. You don't have enough because you're trying to love by your own power. Whether it's in your marriage or your family or your friends or your workplace or in the broader area, we are trying to love with our own mind and our own power. And God is saying, no, you need divine love. You need supernatural love to break through into this. Like our prayer really has to be, God, give me your supernatural love. The love that let Jesus sacrifice himself on the cross, that kind of love God, I think that's what you call us to be as Christians. To us have kingdom vision means that we have that same love. See, that's what Jesus died on the cross for us to have, that love to pour out to this world that's broken. Right? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that divine love. Like, uh, we, we treat the Holy Spirit like a side, side, side person. And, like, he's the third person of the Trinity, like, the the one that we don't really know that much about. Maybe he does some cool stuff during worship. Like, the point of the Holy Spirit really is to give us this supernatural love to transform this world and our relationships. When we look a little bit further in 1 John, um, well, God gives us divine, supernatural love of God. Like, that is the Holy Spirit. So we look at 1 John 4, 10. It starts off, this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, they've been saying the same thing. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ died on the cross. This is what love is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. You understand, none of our ability to love the people around us is from ourselves. 
it is the supernatural power of God that comes on us and says, yeah, actually, you know what? My heart of compassion compels me forward so that I have far more grace and love and movement into action than I thought I could do by myself because you couldn't do it by yourself. And you read about the stories of people who actually move together for change. When they're doing it, when you hear about them and they say, oh, it, you know, I saw this need and I acted on it. It wasn't that they saw the need. They were moved to this compassion. When you read about Jesus in the, in the books, what does it always say in the Gospels? When you see something, he saw this blind man and his heart was moved to compassion. Like this love comes over him and he moves in this place that he gives of himself. Or he sees this person in need, and he was moved to compassion. He saw that all these people would have no food, so he was moved to compassion. So he said, well, what bread or what fish do you have? And he moves in that way. The same way for us is when you are listening to God, when you're saying, God, give me your supernatural love. Whenever there's a circumstance, whatever situation I'm in, I look to that love. God says, good. Then you will let my Holy Spirit move. Then you will move into action. But you have to see that the love of God is the source of love. It is where it comes from, not from ourselves. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, ought to love one another isn't just like, oh, you, you need to. It is almost as if you are, you are unable not to love one another. And he goes through this. If you read 1 John, it's really saying, you know, if God is in you, if the love of God is in you, if you know God, if you belong to God, if you're called by God, it is seen because you will love your neighbor. It is impossible not to because the power of God is so great. Right? That's the love of Jesus on the cross. His love is so great that he would not come off the cross. The love of God is so great that it means that we cannot not love our neighbor. When, I want to get to that point where my love is so completed in God that I have to love them. Like, I just cannot. Like, if I, if I don't love them, it just feels wrong. Because right now, it's the opposite. It takes so much of my own effort to try to love someone. I got to tell myself things. Oh, yeah, I got to love this person. But, and it, but the way God is saying, no, no. If you, if you are drawing from the source of Christ, if you see, if you understand that, you, you cannot not love you have to love them you will just love them your compassion will increase and as if you're walking with the holy spirit that compassion then moves you to the miraculous because it's a supernatural and divine love and i think sometimes just being able to love someone or listen to someone or hear someone is miraculous right it takes energy that we would not have had by our own strength but by the love of god he lets you do No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us of his spirit. Right? Because his spirit lives in us, it means that we see God in the love that we have for one another. But when we're drawing on our own strength or just using our own power or using our own love, it keeps falling short. Like, to me, the greatest revelation of this is, as I was preparing, it was like, oh, God, you're right. My love does, like, my love does suck. I try so hard with my own love, but it doesn't work that way. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of, though, right? I'm afraid that if I say, okay, God, your love is enough for me, he's going to make me love people that I don't want to love. 
right? I mean, that's the biggest problem, right? I'm going to actually care about people. I don't, and I, I, I tell myself immediately, I don't have strength to care for all these people. You know, I don't have energy. I don't, I don't want to really love them. God, you're not going to make me, like, have to sit there and listen to them and talk to them, right? Like, and that's where I'm like, well, actually, I, I don't really want the love of God. I'm quite happy just being myself. But then we find ourselves frustrated and empty and missing out. But the love of God, like it moves far beyond that. Much greater, much deeper. See, as we love, God gives and teaches us his love. The more that we say, okay, God, I I yearn for your perfect love in my life. And you say, I want to move in that way. The more you do that, he is then able to teach us more what his love looks like. It teaches us and it transforms us. So it's hard to explain, right? Because on one hand, we still want to try to be in control of our love. And on the other hand, we want to trust in God's love. In reality, when you read the Bible, there's so many things that seem like they're, they're on polar opposites. Because it's like God is fully just and yet he's fully merciful. He has endless amount of love, and yet at the same time, he will judge us. And yet he will give us his full grace. And we, and we walk in this kind of tension. And it's like, God, I, I don't know how to be in this tension. And it is impossible because we're human. We're, we're bound by our own mind. But the power of God is saying, you know what? Trust me. And I will show you how this love parts the Red Sea and opens up doors that you were otherwise closed. But if you keep drawing from your own well, you are going to keep running empty. So come to the source of God's perfect and eternal love and let him transform you that way. I think when I first started out in ministry, it actually was really hard. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I would just talk to people that I like talking to and try to pray with them. And uh, it would be fine. I would be able to minister to them. Um, but as, as time's gone on, I found that God keeps giving me or helping me to understand how much greater his love is, to talk to people that I wouldn't have otherwise talked to. And there was this one camp, one teen conference that I went to before, and um, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was a pretty intense day. Uh, there's a lot of praying for people, and then towards the evening, uh, there was this girl that came up, and she said, oh, can you pray with me? I was with another guy, and we said, okay, let's pray for you. And we were praying for this person, and they had a lot of issues, um, and it went on till about maybe uh, 2 a.m., and then at the, she said, oh, thank you so much for praying. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, praise God, you know, it's awesome, so good. And then, uh, then someone said, oh, Bert, uh, someone else really has been waiting to talk to you guys and, and to pray with you guys. I said, okay, it's like 2 a.m. Are there no curfews here, or what's going on with this teen conference? This was pre-fat camp, right? Okay, so this is the, the dark ages of the camp. So it's like, okay, um, fine, let's come and, come and talk to her. I'm like, in my head, I was like, it's like 2 a.m., right? We'll wrap this up quickly. How bad this be? This girl comes, and she has so many issues. She has so much hate towards people. I'm like, oh my gosh. And this person is, she's the kind of person like, oh, you, you, you know it's going to be draining. But what's amazing was when I saw her, I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't feel like, oh, this is one of those problem kids coming to me with their problems that they're not going to get over. It was just God saying, no, it's okay. In my head, I'm like, 2 a.m.? Oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. Um, but uh, the other part is, to throw this twist into this, I had promised my friend I would take her to uh, Heathrow Airport uh, for a 6 a.m. flight. Uh, I would leave at 6 a.m. to take her to the airport. So I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, all right, if this takes over this long, I will only have this much sleep to have. But I'm like, whatever, we're going to do this. Um, she came, and she prayed. And as we were talking with her, she had so much spiritual issues, 
so much hate, so much anger. And we worked through and prayed with her about forgiveness and actually setting her free from all these things. And it was not by our power that we could even get to this point. It was really the love of God that compels us to listen, to know how to care for them, how to pray for them, and see how God sets them free. Like in, my, in the back of my head, when I go back and rewind, I'm like, wow, how did I not like lose focus during that time? How was I able to still stay on top of things and still yearn so much and pray and cry for this person even through this? Now, what happened was um, there was real breakthrough. She uh, had uh, a lot of freedom. She had been cutting uh, herself, but then she found God's healing and forgiveness and was set free. And then she went off and I said, okay, um, now that it's... Uh, Five o'clock, I'm just going to go and take this person to the airport now. So I went to take my friend to the airport. I got back, and I'm like, I'm going to skip this next time. I'm going to go right to sleep. And I came back, and I went to my room. I got a phone call and said, you know that girl that you were talking to? Um, you got to come speak to her again because uh, she's going through something else, but she had brought whiskey to this conference. And um, there's some more confessions that she wants me. I'm like, really? Because it's like 7 now, and I haven't slept, and I'm really tired. But at the same time, God's love presses you forward. And I can't take any credit for this, like, oh, Bert, I'm so holy, I'm so good. It was really like God saying, you know, my love is so great for her that if you just trust me, it will be all right. But the part of me is still like, I don't know, Bert, I don't know, it's, like, it's fine, Mom, I can't someone else deal with it? Um, but we went over, talked with her, prayed with her, and then found out that, you know, she hadn't, thankfully, she hadn't drunk all the whiskey yet. And she hadn't drunk it. But she's like, you know, I, I feel really bad about this. At the same time, I'm still wrestling with this area. And we spent some more time praying with her until she was finally saying, you know, we're putting all this side aside. And I realized that whiskey, she would never have confessed to that if she didn't have that first breakthrough. And the second breakthrough happens because what God is saying is his amazing supernatural love wants to break through into everyone's life, no matter how damaged they are. And it does take action on our part and a willingness to be used by him and an obedience to respond to what he does so that you can see that love poured out. But it also means that we have to be saying, God, your love, teach me how to stretch it. Teach me how my love is insufficient so that I can see what it means to really rely on your love. We get chances to practice this every day with people who are close to us, whether it's our colleagues or our workplace or our family members. And they are difficult. If you find someone, if you, if you can think in your head right now, you know what, Bert, as you've been speaking, this one annoying person has come into my head over and over again. I want to push them out because I know you're convicting me about this person. This is your prayer. Your prayer is this. God, why do you love this person? Why do you love that person? Because I want to see the way that you see this person. I want to love the way you love this person. Like, how amazing is that when you start saying, God, I want my love to be on the same page as yours, and the way you love this person that annoys me, I want to love them the way that you do. Like, that's amazing. Think about it this way. Think about if someone's praying that way over you. Like, you're the annoying person, and someone's saying, you know what? God, how do you love this person? I want to love this person the way that you do. Like, how amazing. Because I know I can be annoying, but if I know someone really wants to love God so much that they're asking how they could love me, I'm like, Wow. God, you, you are so good, and it's so powerful. And you begin to understand, like, when we start seeing the divisions in this world, and you see how annoying it is, we focus so much on the hate, and God is saying, no, focus on God's love being greater than all of that, 
because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the world. And he saw how broken it was, and yet he knows that his love overcomes the sin of this world. The prayer is really this, let God transform your love from just being our own striving into a supernatural, spirit-filled, divine love. Our love is insufficient. We cannot love this world by our own strength. But the divine power of God's love in our life given to us by the Holy Spirit, man, that is something else. And as Christians, I really believe that that is one reason why God calls us into his family, so that we can demonstrate that love. If I had to illustrate this out, it is this. First, it is the love of the King, the love of the Father, seen in the love of Jesus on the cross, given to us by the life of the Spirit, so that we can love the world, And let the world know the love of God. Like that is why he gives us this love. So then we can say now, see how this love is given outward. This Christmas, let God's gift. In other words, God's gift of love to us. This Christmas, let let God's gift be given out. Be demonstrated. Be poured out onto the people around us. As you come and we come to worship and come to communion... This is your time to say, okay, God, these are the people on my heart that I struggle with. Or these are the situations. And it can be anyone from the police in Hong Kong to governments to your family members to people that you're estranged with. And say, God, I I, I almost hate this person. But God, how do you love them? Why do you love them? What is it that you love about them? Let my love follow along that line so that I will know how to pray for them, so that I will know how to bless them. Because anyone can love their friends. But God, your supernatural divine love, that teaches us how to love our enemies, how to bless those that persecute us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's amazing that you gave your life for us. Like this powerful, perfect action on the cross, when you could have withhold your love at any point, and yet you are not selfish. I mean, that is a perfect picture of pure and holy love, and yet we settle so much for, like, we can barely call it love. And we thank you, Lord, that even in those small expressions of barely calling it love, Lord, it teaches us something. But God, as your children, let us hunger for that divine love, to be instruments of this divine love, that you really send us forward here, not, not stuck in our own place, Lord, but just seeing how good you are. You know, God, your love is so great that when we realize it, like, nothing compares to it. Like, we don't deserve any of this, and yet you are so good to us. Your love is greater than the fathers, wiser than the mentors, more passionate than the lovers, more deep than the mothers. Your love is perfect above all of this, Lord. So if we are struggling to know that love, Lord, we pray that today you explode that love into our heart, not just in our mind, but in our soul. That you show us how pure and how perfect that supernatural love is. And secondly, Lord, if it is to the people around us, Lord, you show us what it means to really love this world the way that you do. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.